Here comes another edition of Talking Fußball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week, you know, we're kind of getting ready to enter the gauntlet. The next six weeks leading up to the World Cup break are going to be absolutely stuffed with football. All we can do is just stay on top of it as best we can. With me this week to sort through the wealth of storylines coming out of the Bundesliga is Adam Kahn of the German Football Weekly Substack Newsletter. Hello, Adam. Welcome back. Hey, Matt. It's a pleasure to be on again. And like you say, we're almost a quarter of the way for the season. Games are coming thick and fast. So, yeah, a lot of talking points this weekend and, and for the remaining time up until the World Cup. I know, I know. I was looking at all the teams who are both in Europe and in the German Cup are basically going to be having, you know, games every four days for the next six weeks. It's going to be wild. We've got lots to talk about from match day eight in the Bundesliga. We got the best and the rest. In the meantime, please do subscribe to the pod. Leave us a five-star rating if you like. If you really like us, subscribe to us on Patreon. Uh, we got tons of timeless content over there. Our historic match day moments series is running all season long. See you in a moment. Here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day eight. Oh, you know what? One more thing. One more thing about our Patreon. Just wanted to get this in there while you're listening. If you join in the next few weeks, you can uh, help us choose a special topic or two for some patron-only shows during the World Cup break. So consider it. Without further ado, let's get into that part one. I think this week saw quite a few eyebrow-raising results, ones that gave us plenty of things to think about. I think it's probably good to start, however, with the game that probably had the most eyes on it around the world, the one that was between two teams who had fallen well short of expectations. That was between Bayern München and Bayern Leverkusen. It was a real one-sided affair. Bayern 4-0 result. I can't really say that a big Bayern win ever feels truly shocking, but considering the kind of month that they had had coming into this game, and it was a little different. <laughs> Leverkusen, of course, as I mentioned, had problems of their own, and of course they still do. But I would say Jamal Musiala coming out of this game has increased his reputation even more. He set up two. He scored another in the first half. Bayer couldn't keep up. Hmm. Adam, why after all those outings where Bayern looked anything but sharp, did they suddenly just turn into a buzzsaw in this game? Yeah, I think your your main point here is that Bayern really needed to go out there and prove something today. They had so much pressure on them after those four winless games in a row. First time in 20 years that that's happened. So, I mean, just to put that into context, that's a crazy statistic to just show how long Bayern has been dominating this league. And, yeah, I mean, the pressure is on them. The pressure, of course, on Leverkusen as well. Both managers under pressure. But Bayern really did have to go out there and prove something. And we know with the caliber of talent that they have that, if you go in as naive as Leverkusen did, basically handing Bayern all the possession, not really going into the def defensive duels with the, with the right amount of rigor to, to really come out on top, Bayern has the quality to tear you apart. And then players like Jamal Muziala, Thomas Muller, Leroy Sané as well, another player who had a tremendous game, really showed that, yeah, this team is still packed with quality. Yeah, it's interesting. In the lead up to this game, your, your most recent newsletter was about Julian Nagelsmann and some of his perceived shortcomings, let's say. What sort of are, are the substance of those? And did you see them in some cases uh, turn around? I mean, I guess probably the most actionable one that we might be talking about is, is the sort of 
over variability of system his tendency to try and get players to take on too many roles, sometimes within a single game, leading to a certain kind of confusion or frustration in, in, in some players. Did you see them going about things in a somewhat more straightforward way here? Or, you know, is, is a 3 nil lead early the balm that cures all ills? No, I think definitely you saw a lot more tactical structure in this game, especially, for example, Sadio Mane, right? He was a big talking point coming into this one. He hadn't scored in his last five match days. I think that's Bundesliga and Champions League. So he was a big talking point after the price tag and, and the Lewandowski replacement label, which he came with over the summer. And yeah, we saw him kind of play on the left, well, the position he's been most used to at Liverpool. So a bit more structure in his game. And Thomas Muller, of course, as well, a player who it, it can really lead your line, maybe not with the goal scoring, but he can really structure a press the best out of all these players and also be that link-up man up top. He then took over the more central areas. And your two players with the most tactical flexibility, those are then Jamal Muziala and Leroy Sade. And that made sense as well, because both of them are extremely two-footed. Both can really play all across the midfield. And you saw how well they linked up together. Such quite a few highlights of them just playing one-twos across the pitch, getting into various spaces where they can affect the attack. So yeah, I think that what Nadelsman did so well on Friday is he gave the tactical flexibility to certain players who could be entrusted with that role. And then to others where a more rigid structure was needed, like a Joshua Kimmich, for example, or Mane and Muller, he then allowed them to really have a clear set of requirements. And then, yeah, they fulfilled that to, to the utmost, the best they could do. Nice. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the other side of this just for a moment. You know, Leverkusen, I mean, this is, this is the, about as disastrous a start to a season as anyone could have foreseen for them thus far. There's got to be a little bit of pressure now, despite all the things that various people in charge at Leverkusen have said, whether that's Zeman Rolfes, who is the sporting director, or Fernando Caro, the sort of chairman who is ultimately the final decision maker in a lot of cases. You know, they have been measured in their votes of confidence for Gerardo Seuane, but they are still giving him votes of confidence. Is a 4-0 result a way to Bayern anything that will sort of push their thinking over to one side? Or is this simply the kind of result that you have to live with and maybe the next game or two is more indicative of where things are going as far as their thinking? I think you can see it on both sides. I think that obviously to come away from the Alianza and it was zero points isn't a disaster, but the manner of defeat is really worrying because you saw a side that was really bereft of ideas, bereft of really a, a desire to turn this form around. And end of the day, I mean, regardless of how you want to look at it, Leverkusen are in the relegation zone. They're 17th. They have five points. So there needs to be alarm bells ringing. And although I, like many, really rate Gerardo Sejuan for his tactical intelligence, his ability to, to really integrate this squad, I mean, a really young squad that achieved so much last season, the fact that they are so low on the table out of the day, people call first round the SV Elvisberg, newly promoted into third division. There's definitely some reasons to be concerned. And like you say, Champions League midweek against Porto is, is a match where they can turn it around. But more important will be that following Fitcher against Schalke on the weekend. That's a real relegation six-pointer. And I think that if Leverkusen don't come out of that one on top, Gerardo Seuan will most likely be packing his bags. Interesting. Let's look ahead for Bayern. Let's just say they have a somewhat less imposing Champions League fixture at midweek, followed by the big one as far as uh, Bundesliga sort of international marketing and in some cases uh, within Germany as well is concerned, the Der Klassiker fixture. They're going to be going away to play Dortmund 
Do you see six points in their future from those two matches coming up in the next week? Yeah, I think that obviously the Victoria Pills and match midweek is, is one that Byron may even look to go in there and rest a few key players. I mean, obviously, compared to last season, they definitely have a squad to do just that. They, they have a much deeper squad than last year. And although Joshua Kimmich and, and Tomas Müller both out with Corona for that midweek fixture, they should have enough quality in reserve to get through that match. And then, yeah, all eyes will be on that Dortmund fixture. If, if not, as one goes out there and the Bayern can win that, I don't think there'll be any chatter about a, a Bayern false start or anything like that in the future. And end of the day, they're now both level on points, despite the fact that we've been talking about for large stretches of the season, how Dortmund have been so good in the Bundesliga and Bayern are, are so off the pace. But like we said, both of them now tied on 15 points. Bayern two points off when Jon and Freiburg are top of the table. So yeah, if Bayern can come out of that Dortmund game unscathed, then I think there will be normal proceedings resumed. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Bayern are level on points with Dortmund. They're actually only two points off the top now, considering what happened at the tip top of the table, which is to say Union Berlin, league leaders, losers, 2-0 at Eintracht Frankfurt. Mario Götze kept off a really nice team goal for their first one, and then Jesper Lindstrom struck second with, you know, about a solo effort of a goal as you could ever see, beginning with a, a, a takeaway and ending with an elegant finish in the box. Randall Kolomwani got himself sent off in the second half, which made things a little more difficult for the Eagles in the last 25 minutes or so, but they did hold on. Let's talk about Frankfurt first. They're beginning to come into their own, I would say. They not only are on a pretty good run of form, they've dropped a game to Wolfsburg a couple of weeks ago or a couple of match days ago, but other than that, have had uh, quite a few wins lately. And they really made breaching this Union defense look a lot easier than anybody else in the Bundesliga had thus far this season. What did they do so right? Yeah, I was really high on, on Frankfurt going into the season. We did some work on the transfer windows for all the 18 Bundesliga clubs, and I rated Frankfurt's window as the best amongst everybody. And I think that a lot of these players are starting to show that. We mentioned Kolo Moani, and he's really been an inspired signer. I mean, five assists so far, that's the lead high value. And particularly his 1v1 dribbling, it's just mesmerizing. I mean, we talked about Jamal Muziala and Leroy Sané earlier, but the, the 1v1 ability that Kolo Moani has shown early parts of the season is right on a level with those two. So he'd definitely be my shout for the best signing of the summer so far. But altogether, I mean, this Frankfurt side, more than anything results-wise, is just so fun to watch. There's yeah. so many really talented youngsters. Gritz as well, seeing him back in the Bundesliga is always a treat. So, yeah, I'm really high on Frankfurt. And the fact that they've also been able to kind of deepen their squads, so they're not necessarily going all out in Europe and then just deciding to throw away points in the lead when they make it to the quarterfinals in a European competition is also nice to see. And I think that they'll have the quality to maybe not make it out of the Champions League group, but definitely go deep in a European competition and remain competitive in the Bundesliga where they can also then qualify for Europe through just a placement in the league. All right. Well, let's turn things over to the Union side here. I mean, there's basically been two competing narratives thus far this season. One has been the feel-good factor of seeing a club with pretty limited resources make the absolute utmost out of them and, you know, lead the league. You've had the deadly strike pairing of, you know, Geraldo Becker and Jordan. But there's also been a sort of counter-narrative bubbling under the surface about how outlandishly this team has outplayed their expected goals, expected goals against figures. 
I don't want to say that this game is, you know, indicative of a regression to the mean starting, but it might be just that. It might be the the, the game where <laughs> the strikers stopped being absolutely molten in their finishing ability and, you know, their opposition made a bit more of the chances that they gave up. How do you see Union's outlook in perhaps this phase going through to the World Cup break? I mean, they're going to be very busy, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that that all the data analysts for, for Frankfurt fans this weekend hoping that this Union crazy overperformance finally ended. So I guess they can at least go away with that one. But I mean, looking back on it, what a run from Union. It's their first Bundesliga defeat since March. They were 13 Bundesliga matches in a row undefeated. So that was the longest stretch in German football. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy to say that that what was Fischer is getting out of this squad. And obviously, we talked about an overperformance, but you don't go 13 Bundesliga matches without a defeat. If there's nothing that you're there. It's not luck, basically, that they're getting there. And I think that the fact that they have made, again, really acute signings here. Jordan, like you mentioned, he's, he's been brilliant so far in the Bundesliga. Had Greg Berhalter perhaps watched a little bit more of the Bundesliga, he too may have called him up to the U.S. men's national team, but maybe we're on the wrong podcast for that one. Hey! But hey yeah, we, I, I'm, <laughs> we, we're going to make an argument that uh, maybe Hansi Flick needs to watch a bit more Bundesliga in a minute, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, either way, I think I think there's still a lot to be really high on on Jon for, and although we haven't necessarily seen it translate into Europe so far, that could ultimately, again, be exactly what they need to keep up this high intensity in the league. Because unlike Frankfurt, I still think that their squad isn't necessarily as deep. They still don't necessarily have a squad where you say, okay, three, four attacking players fall out. How do they replace them? I think that's still somewhat of an issue. But all in all, again, a great start to the season for Union. And at a club who, end of the day, I mean, their, their sole aim is still going to be stay in the Bundesliga next season. And they're almost halfway there with just eight match days gone. So, yeah. Everything going right for Union despite this defeat. Yep, yep. They are still top of the league, everybody. Let's enjoy it while we can. Okay, let's move over and talk about what I think was the most surprising result of the week. This is Werder Bremen. Werder Bremen 5. Borussia Mönchengladbach 1. Not surprising in that I think we've all seen a fairly spry Werder Bremen thus far in this season. They've made a name for themselves with late heroics that have helped them, you know, snatch vital points on, on several occasions. This week they basically flipped the script. They got the party started really early. They just cut through, uh, the Gladbach defense again and again. They were three nil up within 13 minutes. Adam, I can only imagine where your head was at when, when Nicholas Fulkrug fired in his second uh, and Werder's third. What made the boys in green, what made their life so easy on Saturday night? Was this a game where Gladbach beat themselves or where Werder were just too quick, too dominant, too sort of speed of thought, speed of reaction, determination, etc.? I think it's probably a bit of both. I think on the one hand, you look at some of the statements Daniel Falker made after the game, and there was a lot of issues going into the game. For example, Ben Savini had, had a pretty poor ankle sprain. Jan Sommer was sick the night before. So all these factors kind of played their role. And obviously, Bremen, as we've seen so often this season, I mean, they can score goals, right? This is a team that is extremely dangerous, have brought Marvin Ducci and Nicholas Fulcher up from the second bonus, and they've carried on right where they left off. So those two are two players that can really hurt you. And yeah, Gladbach were, were very naive defending. It really brought some of the undertones of the of the Adi Hutta spell back where you really saw these 
impressive performances, then uh, out of nowhere, just terrible defending, tale of two halves, all these things that have been so prominent within Adi Hutter's spell were, were on show again. But again, so much has to go to this Bremen side who ultimately got the revenge as it was Lapak who, who relegated them in 2020 to the second Bundesliga. So in their first match back against Lapak, yeah, I think that they ultimately got the last laugh. Interesting. You brought up Niklas Fulkrug and Marvin Duksch's successful strike partnership. I mentioned in our last little capsule about Union, the Becker and, uh, you know, Jordan strike partnership. What do we make of this, of this maybe, you know, incipient resurrection of two striker systems? And, you know, I guess maybe it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy that when you play a two-striker system and, and your strikers score goals, people are going to take notice. Is there something to this? Does this signal perhaps that we're ready to maybe play more out-and-out strikers in the Bundesliga? Or maybe, you know, certain international team managers might uh, take notice of what this is bringing, the variability that it's bringing to the sides, and uh, bring one of these guys along. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, on your first point, I think we've seen for so many years in the Bundesliga where it's really dominated by these one-striker systems that just going with two players up top brings something completely different into play. For example, if you're a center back and you defend against one striker six, seven games in a row, then all of a sudden there's two strikers that you need to deal with. It's a completely new picture for yourself. So I think that's already a factor which plays in that favor. And you mentioned, of course, a certain national team manager named Hansi Flick and what he could maybe take out of this game. Well, Niklas Fulkrud is the top scorer in the Bundesliga right now. And if there's one thing Germany needs, it's a striker. And while I don't think anybody would necessarily say that Niklas Fulkrud is going to be your out-and-out starter for Germany at the World Cup, I don't necessarily see an issue with if you're down 2-1 in the last 10 minutes, why Niklas Fulkrud can't help that side more than a Timo Werner, perhaps, or, or a Lucas Nemecha. Because when we're going off just goal-scoring form, that's your that's your player right now who's in form. And just an interesting statistic to, to throw in there. The last time a Bremen player scored seven goals in the opening eight games of the Bundesliga was Miroslav Klose. That was 2005-2006. And if anybody remembers how the summer of 2006 went, Miroslav Klose went to the World Cup of Germany, scored five goals as Germany won the bronze medal and ended the World Cup as the top scorer in the World Cup. So... Maybe Niklas Fulkrud won't end up being the top scorer at Qatar 2022, but hey, maybe he can at least pitch in a little bit to hopefully see this Germany side go further than we all expect. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually really struck by how remarkably similar the situation with Niklas Fulkrug and uh, Jordan are for their respective national teams. Their managers are convinced that they just don't work within my system, but they just keep scoring. And sometimes that's the best way to win an argument. Okay, let's talk about Gladbach now. I know you pay quite a lot of attention to this team, let's just say. And given the way Werder were able to get some of their uh, early goals, especially, there was a degree of criticism about Gladbach's playing style these days, which, you know, under Daniel Farke is very dependent on a lot of possession. It's pretty doctrinaire about building up from the back at all times, which, when it's working, can be really beautiful and really effective. But when it's not working, can make you look pretty bad. Is there something to worry about? in the way Werder exploited that? Or is this just an off day? I think that in the context of the entire Bundesliga season, where we've seen so many clubs have that off day, I wouldn't necessarily be too worried about it just yet. 
And particularly because we've seen Lubbock have so many on days, right? I mean, you look at the fact that they conceded five goals in one game, but then you also look at the fact that across the opening seven match days put all together, they conceded only five goals. So I don't think we're in a role here where we're saying that Lubbock have really huge defensive issues like we had for large stretches of last season. And also on the point of Daniel Farber's possession football, it's precisely what the squad needs. I mean, you look at the signings, you signed a Julian Weigel in the window, you have Christopher Kramer there, Jonas Hofmann, Florian Neuhaus before his injury, even guys like Alessand Play on the wings, right? These are players that aren't necessarily the fastest players in the world, but are so good with the ball at their feet. So I don't necessarily see any criticism for Farkas' tactics. I think that this is, like you said, a, a really off day in the Bundesliga, as we've seen with so many clubs so far this season. And it's going to all come down to just seeing how Bloodbud reacts in their next fixture, which is obviously a, an important one as I'm looking at my calendar right here, because someday they take on Cologne in the Derby. So yeah, that's kind of where it may all come down to then how much they can then take the lessons out of this Bremen defeat. Well, isn't that interesting? How are you sort of looking at this? This is the home derby, is it not? Yes. How are you looking forward to that fixture and indeed like the season as it's going on now that you've seen nearly a quarter of a season from Gladbach? I think coming from last season, it's there's really a lot of positives to take so far. The fact that there wasn't just terrible results for that much last season, but also the massive turnover, whether it be Mats Ebel on the on the coaching side and Adi Hutto on the coaching side, but also in the plane. I mean, you look at the fact that Dennis Sakuria and Matthias Ginter both left. Those are two very, very important players within the squad. So if you take all that into context and see how many changing parts have been taking over this summer and all of last season at Lapat, I think we can be fairly happy that, okay, we're in ninth, but at the same time, we're only three points off Bayern in third, right? So this is still the early part of the season. There's still a lot of moving pieces and to at least say that, okay, we're in there, we're amongst the European places, we're not having a complete off like what Leverkusen have experienced or Wolfsburg, to just be around there in the middle of the pack is, is more than what we can hope for at this point in the season. All right. Well, best of luck to your boys then. Let's come back and talk about the other side of the, uh, the Rhein Derby fixture. Cologne, they had a big weekend. Here's part two of Talking Foosball Direct. I am Matt Herman. My guest is Adam Kahn. Let's start talking about Cologne and Dortmund. This was another game we really could have put in the top half of the show, but if we had done that, it probably would have turned into a top two-thirds or a top three-quarters. Anyway, this one was an interesting match in that it, it saw a number of sort of twists and turns. Cologne came storming back. In the second half, they overturned a 1-0 halftime deficit and got that 3-2 win. Okay, the turning point in this game, I reckon, was those two goals in four minutes early in the second half that uh, you know put Cologne on that path to victory. What did you make of that crucial sequence, and what does it mean for Dortmund? Yeah, it's something we've seen through through large stretches of this season, last season, the season before, right? There are there are spells within games or spells within seasons where Dolman really out of nowhere just fall off. I mean, you look at that Man City game also that, that Dolman ended up losing, right? They were the dominant side for a good hour, hour and fifteen, and then just a few minutes completely throw it all away. And that's what we saw again this week, right? I mean, that opening half from Dolman 
was arguably their best in the Bundesliga so far this season from from a standpoint of chance creation and just general football they played. Mm-hmm. But yeah, ultimately it's all for naught. And at the end of the season, all that really matters so often is the points, right? And and while Stallman has been for so many seasons aside that is probably one of the most attractive in the Bundesliga and plays some of the best football and has some of the biggest wins. End of the day, all we remember is, is Bayern ultimately winning the titles and performances like this is why Dortmund are still far too far away. Yeah, you've been writing about Dortmund a fair bit lately, I've noticed, both on their attack, which hasn't seemed to really figure out what to do with Antony Modeste, and on their defense where you argue that you know Mats Hummels may have more to offer than many have given the 33-year-old credit for. Where do you want to start? Maybe Antony Modeste is the place to be considering this was the game where he went back to his old employer after a fairly unhappy exit and his team came off looking second best and he didn't have very many good chances. Yeah, I think it's a good place to start, and I think that this was a really crucial game for Modeste, because Yusuf Makuku, obviously his competitor up top, he scored the winning goal in the derby last match day, and a lot of people were already arguing that he shouldn't be the one starting this weekend, but Makuku picked up a slight injury with the U21s midweek, so it did seem like Modeste would get the start against, against his old employer, and like we said, a big match for Modeste, but ultimately one where he again failed to perform. He's now done nine matches in all competitions, scoring just one goal, and just looks completely out of sorts in the Stalin lineup. And you can see it kind of from both perspectives, right? From Modeste's perspective, he's just not getting the service that he's so used to in Cologne. We'll get to Cologne later, but I mean, they're so well-drilled, have a system that's perfect for a center forward. Again, this season, they've made 30 more crosses than any other team in the Bundesliga. So for an aerial threat like Anthony Modeste, it's precisely what you want. And in Dortmund, he's coming into a side that has so many players that are extremely technical. You have the likes of Giorena, Torin Hazard, Marco Royce one fit, uh, Julian Brandt as well. But not players that necessarily want to get down the line, beat one player 1v1 and put in a cross or or find their center forward no matter what to get on the end of the goal, right? These aren't exactly players that look for that. They're ones that look to build the ball for the center, look for link-up play. And these aren't facets of Anthony Modeste's game that are his strengths or at 34 years old are really ever going to be something that he's going to be able to bring to the table. So as of right now, it's really a match that, yeah, is not made in heaven. Yeah, I was also interested with your argument about Mats Hummels, not only just speaking about his uh, the potential that he might bring to the German national team, where he seems to be sort of out for good, perhaps, but in the difference in Dortmund's play when he plays for them, even though he is not, I guess, first choice anymore, do they need to find a place for him? Both teams. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to really argue against it when you just look at the the numbers that bear in front of you, right? With Dalman, with him in the side, Dalman have conceded one goal in 512 minutes in the Bundesliga. And without him in the side, they've conceded nine goals in 208 minutes. So with him in the side, a goal every 512 minutes. Without him, a goal every 23 minutes. That's the difference between being one of the best defenses in all of Europe versus the worst defense in all of Europe. So... Yeah, I think from that perspective, it's hard to really argue against Hummels. And what's so important, I think, isn't necessarily the interventions that he's making himself, right? Not the tackles, the interceptions, but how he's able to organize the side around him. And, and Nicholas Zula definitely is not that guy. We've seen it from his time in Bayern. He isn't a vocal leader. He isn't a player that will, will start to bark out orders or really d- demand everything from the side, like, like what David Alaba did at Bayern, for example. 
And Nico Schlotterberg, on the other hand, is that character, but he's extremely error-prone right now where he may play 80, 89 minutes at a, at a perfect quality, a world-class quality, but he always has that error within him. I mean, we saw it in the German national team, the fact that in his last five appearances, he's given away free penalties, and also for Dortmund in the early parts of the season. So yeah, there's still a lot to work on in this Dortmund side, and from an offensive and defensive standpoint, it's just not where they want to be. I mean, you look at just the, the plain numbers compared to Bayern. They're both on 15 points, but Bayern has a plus 17 goal difference and Dortmund has a plus one goal difference. So, yeah, those are some some numbers that speak truth. Yeah, yeah. Goal difference. The longer you get into the season, the more goal difference starts to tell you some pretty interesting things. Cologne. Let's talk about Cologne. This is obviously a really creditable result, not just for the fact of who they beat or how, but sort of the the story of the game which as as you mentioned was really a pretty bad first half from them or a first half where they allowed Dortmund to impose their will how is it that they keep coming up with ways to get back into games even when many of us would feel that they don't have a chance anymore it comes across to me that they are a really resilient team yeah i think that okay on the one hand there's obviously a big luck element in this, right? I mean, Dalton should have been 3-0 up. Andre Duda, in my opinion, should have probably been sent off mm-hmm. in the 26th mm-hmm. minute after that tackle on knee height. But like you said, I mean, Cullen is extremely resilient. They're extremely well-trained in their system. I think just looking through the squad and, and searching for these household names that you say should be part of a squad playing in European football in the Bundesliga. I look at Jonas Hector. I look at Florian Kainz, Elias Skiri. But beyond that, there aren't necessarily that many players where you say they need to be playing in Europe, right? I think that that, and that's a testament to to what Baumgart has gotten out of this squad, where you say that a lot of players, if they went to another Bundesliga team, they would not be performing at that level. So yeah, it's it's a it's a system that gets the most out of limited for top flight standard quality, and they just consistently go and go again. And when they should be losing matches, they draw them. When they should be drawing matches, they win them. And end of the day, that that can get you very far in a Bundesliga, which is, like we've seen some of the other results this weekend, so inconsistent and so wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's move on and talk about another team who has looked very, very consistent this season. That's Freiburg. They got a 2-1 win at home to Mainz. Don't want to overstate things. This was a real tale of two halves kind of a game. The Black Forest Club were just more clinical in the first half. They got two goals. They were able to hold Mainz to just one in the second, despite Mainz going very close on a, a couple of occasions. Yeah, unlike Union, Adam, Freiburg, who are now level with them on points at the top of the table, have much stronger underlying numbers, numbers that would indicate their, their quality as being, you know, sort of justifiably up in the European places. Do you trust them to keep that up and stick around? I think after wins like this one, it's really hard not to see why they wouldn't stay up there. Because, I mean, this is a this is a very make-or-break type of game, right? I think in years past, this would be a match where Freiburg would perhaps stumble. Mainz came into this game as the best away side in the division as well. So a lot of reasons kind of would show you why Freiburg would perhaps not be able to come away this with win. But ultimately, they did again. And, and this is what made them so impressive this year because... They had a strong squad to begin with, and they just supplemented it again with really astute signings in the summer window. You look at Matthias Ginter and, and what a seismic type of transfer that is for, for Freiburg standards, right? That's a player of real European pedigree. I think he was linked to Inter Milan, Bayern, Atletico Madrid, so clubs of real European prestige, and ultimately chose Freiburg. 
And then also other players like Rizzo Doan, who is quality at Arminia Bielefeld, and then shows it now again at SC Freiburg. Uh, Daniel Kofi Kire, who fans of, of Talking Football's second Bundesliga podcast from last season will know just how exciting he was for San Pauli. And yeah, overall, you, you look at this side and you just see how, how united it is, right? How there's just players here. They're all pulling on one string. Everybody seems to be willing to go for the other. I looked at the, the final seconds where striker Niels Pedersen, right? He's kind of the, the symbol of Estet Freiburg, been there for so long. He's subbed on and then in the final minutes of the game, he isn't the one scoring the goal, but he's rescuing the ball off the goal line to, to save the victory. So these are kind of all these factors which just show that this Freiburg side is not even performing above their weight, but perhaps performing above their individual weight, but collectively it's right where they should be at. Yep, I'm convinced as well. Let's move over now to a team who, to be honest, this program has been guilty of turning up its nose at a lot in recent years. That's Augsburg, mostly for uh, its lack of, of attacking ambition. But maybe this year we might have to change our tune. They were 3-2 winners. Auf Schalke. They lost Mergen Berisha to a red card 20 minutes from time in front of that hostile crowd at the Feltons Arena. But yet, they were the team to score a third and to take all three points, you know, turning that 2-2 draw, which I think many of us would have thought they would have been very happy to take home a man down into a 3-2 win. Do we need to start taking FCA a little bit more seriously, Adam? Yeah, I think, first of all, you have to say many thanks to Enrico Masson for making the name FCA outsort a bit sexier, right? Because you maybe wouldn't have tipped outsort to get relegated every season, but if you had a poll of saying, who do Bundesliga fans least need to have in the Bundesliga? I think Augsburg would have right been at there in the top. And I think that Enrico Massa, of course, formerly of Dortmund's second team, their U23s, he's brought a bit of that, that youthful flair and a bit of that open attacking football to Augsburg. I mean, again, against Schalke, they set up with four strikers in the side, right? So not something you would have thought of this Augsburg side when they had the likes of Marcus Weinstein on the managerial dugout. And it's really helped them again. They now have another win, this time away to Schalke. Um, Demirovic, of course, the signing from SC Freiburg. He's come up key, playing in that slightly reserved role and, and putting in that first goal to get them underway. And you just see a side that, okay, they're not necessarily going to be playing for any European places or anything like that, but they're at the, at the rate that they're playing at right now, they're definitely not going to be involved in the depths of this relegation battle. And this is a good step in the right direction for this side long term because they, of course, have big investment in Outsport. We saw the lights of Ricardo Pepe, who Maybe isn't there anymore temporarily, but he's, of course, a, a signal that Augsburg wants to make a big future here. And having a young manager like Enrico Massen with his fluid attacking tactics will, will only benefit them further down the line. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, maybe Pepe's future with Augsburg will turn out to be bright. He's scoring in Honigan. Uh He's probably going to get to go to the World Cup. Maybe maybe there will be a happy ending to that thus far terrible saga. Yeah. You basically put out that, that you, you reckoned Augsburg were not going to be involved in the thick of the relegation scrap this season, which I think qualifies for a bold prediction when it comes to where that team is so often. I think it probably is not going to be a bold prediction if you say that Schalke is going to be involved in the relegation fight for the Ranger this season. If they do get out, what is going to be the thing that gets them out, Schalke? I think... I'm not necessarily the guy that would always say fire the manager directly or, or any of these things, but I think perhaps I do need to be the guy that says fire the manager this time around because I'm not the biggest fan of 
of Frank Kramer on the sidelines. I think that was not really an inspiring appointment over the summer. I think that anytime you hire a manager who got relegated the previous season isn't necessarily going to light the lead alight. And I think that that's exactly what we're seeing here. He's a very, he's a very reserved manager. I think what we saw at Bielefeld was that he had a solid defensive structure, but going forward, there was not really a plan other than have Stefan Ortega launch a lawn ball to do Fabi close and then hope that Patrick Wimmer does something. And I think that this Schalke team is quite the opposite of Bielefeld in the sense that there's actually some pretty talented, creative players in the side. I mean, Rodrigo Salazar is a player I'm a huge fan of. Dominic Drexler as well is a player who has top flight quality. Maris Bülter also. And the fact that he can't even really find a way to get Salazar in his first 11 shows that this really isn't the manager that's fit for this squad of players. And I think that Schalke do need a change if they want to stay up. Well, we shall see. Okay, let's move on and talk about Wolfsburg and Stuttgart. This was another 3-2 result. This one happened to go to the home side, Wolfsburg. Very, very big three points for them. They snatched them in injury time when Yannick Gerhardt got a third. I think this definitely takes a lot of pressure off of Nico Kovac, but might, you know, just put a little bit more pressure on the shoulders of one Pellegrino Matarazzo, whose uh, Stuttgart side have yet to record a win this season. We gave Matarazzo and Stuttgart, I'm not just going to say talking foosball, but I think the sort of Bundesliga commentary at more broadly, gave them quite a buffer of understanding last season after having, you know, come up from the Zweite Bundesliga two seasons ago to really look not only good in terms of results, but very attractive to watch. Last season, combination of, of injury problems and, you know, some poor luck. They ended up just beating relegation. Do we just stop taking it easy on Stuttgart and start looking at them a bit more critically? I think I'm definitely with you on that. I think that what's so key here is the fact that Stuttgart really are making the same issues for themselves that they had last season, right? The the fact that they're constantly conceding late goals. They have an abundance of individual errors. We saw again with Florian Müller over the weekend, a goalie who was actually pretty solid Bundesliga goalkeeper, but made a really poor error for Matzi Arnold's long shot. And just the poor chance conversion, right? It's something that has been almost symbolic of Stuttgart over these last 24 months. And it's again so evident this week. You just watch the highlights and you'll see Sias, such an exciting player, such a fun player, but not a player who seems to be able to turn all that quality into goals. And there's so many in this Stuttgart squad, whether it be from this season in the lights of, of Chris Furish or, or Sias or even going through the squad, you, you have the lights of Enzo Milo who comes in, who, again, another exciting player. But even before that, the lights of Mateo Klimovitz and just so many players that on paper are so exciting. They're the players that if you play FIFA Karimo that you want to sign for your team and, and, and improve until they're, until they're world beaters. But they aren't at all the players you need in a relegation battle. And that's where I see other sides far ahead of them and why I have so many worries for Stuttgart. Are you worried about Wolfsburg? Or have they sort of found a bit of a recipe to get wins? I guess this is two wins and three for them. Yeah, I mean, I think that I wouldn't be worried for Wolfsburg more so because I don't really care about Wolfsburg. I think that Wolfsburg is like some like Augsburg, not a side that I necessarily need to have in my in my 18-team Bundesliga. But if we're looking at it from a purely objective point of view, then yes, I think that Wolfsburg still have a lot of issues. You mentioned that, that Niko Kovic was under pressure heading into this game. And I think that if he hadn't 
been able to win this game, I think that Niko Kovic probably would have lost his job. I think that's fair to say. So that 90th minute winner really, really saved him his job for another week. And I think that what I do like about Wolfsburg is that they have some exciting players in there. You look at Patrick Wimmer. We, we mentioned him earlier. He's a player that has so much 1v1 potential. Omar Mamouche, goal and assist versus Stuttgart, a side he played for last season. Another little interesting one, because I think that, that a big factor why he didn't work out at Stuttgart for large pressure was because he didn't have that output. So, yeah, I think Stuttgart fans will be kicking themselves a little bit to see him have a goal and assist on his return. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of factors in this, in this Wolfsburg side that make them exciting. But I don't necessarily know if Niko Kovic is the right manager for this squad because Niko Kovic is a really defensive manager, demands a lot in terms of, of running intensity, in terms of structure. And and I see this Wolfsburg squad with all their attacking potential going perhaps in a different direction, an Enrico Maasen direction, for example. And yeah, I think that that's perhaps where this may, may come undone. Mm-hmm. Let's keep moving along. Let's keep moving along and talk about Leipzig. They were 4-0 winners at home to Bochum. Leipzig, our Leipzig. <laughs> Bochum, our Bochum. Two goals from Christopher Nkunku. Two goals from Timo Werner. No one of that quality has ever played for the club Fowlfeld Bochum. Is this more or less an open and shut result? Yeah, I think this is probably the game that we can talk the least about because there's really nothing to really get out of this one, right? I mean, you see a Bochum side that's completely bereft of, of the quality and, and ideas to stay up. I mean, you just watch Manuel Riemann game for game and it's like the most depressing sight in the world just seeing him become more and more frustrated plucking balls out of the back of the net. I think by like match day five, you're still frustrated. Then match day six was like the denial stage and now he's just completely come to terms with the fact that he's going to enjoy the worst few months of his life over the next remainder of the season. So, yeah, I think that that Bochum are, are, are relegated. They're, they're done and dusted. And Leipzig, of course, under Marco Rosa, it's a new start. Seeing Werner score goals again is obviously a good sign ahead of the World Cup, but they're going to need to see how this performs and a bit of a tougher task to, to really understand if Marco Rosa can turn Leipzig back into, into a Champions League and competitive outfit. Yeah, they've got uh, Celtic coming up in the Champions League. First at home at midweek this week, and then, you know, the following week they'll be going away. How much of a sort of test do you see those games as being in that, um, you know, there are bigger sides in the group, but this might be the kind of side, even though Celtic have really improved greatly in recent years, especially under Ainge. Where do you see the outlook for, for Leipzig in those, if that's maybe a somewhat sterner test than the likes of Bochum? Yeah, that's precisely the type of side where you've seen Leipzig become undone in, in, in um, European competition in the past. You looked at last season, the group stage, losing to Club Bruges. This season, the group stage, losing to Shakhtar. And of course, in the Europa League semifinals last season, losing to Rangers, so another Scottish side. So it's the type of team that, that Leipzig have struggled with in the past. And it's also a great test to see where Marco Rosa's side is at, because it's a team where Leipzig are slightly favored, so Celtic may may be a bit more reactive in, in how they approach the game, but also not a side like Bochum where you say that Leipzig are going to overrun them, right? The Celtic side is full of quality, and, and it has enough in them to, to expose a poor performance from Leipzig. So yeah, I think that'll be a much starker test and also a better judgment of where Leipzig stands. Yeah, I think that'll be 
a fun couple of games potentially. Okay, one more game to talk about or or you know not talk about as the case may be. I of course was glued to the television shouting things, but it was not necessarily one for the neutrals. Hertha and Hoffenheim played to a 1-1 draw in Berlin. Any thoughts about this or the constellation of where these two teams are right now? I mean, Hoffenheim certainly are probably right where they want to be in fifth place with, uh, you know, 14 points, very much in the thick of the hunt for Europe. Hertha, not so much. Seven points, although unbeaten in, I guess, the last four or five games. Where do you see the future of these two teams going? Yeah, I think the jury is still very much out on both these sides. I think that this is kind of a game where we were hoping to find some answers and in the end, we're even more lost than when we went into it. And I think that in terms of Hoffenheim, what you're seeing is a squad that's really packed with talent. I really like the window that they had there. Also keeping hold of like players like Jorginho Ruter, who's blossomed into an even more impressive striker this season. Andre Kramer, again, he's a really elite goal scorer in the Bundesliga. So, so much quality there, but still not routinely getting it into actual results on the pitch. And I think that that's something that Andre Brighton Ryder still needs to improve on. But overall, like you said, with their points total, it's a solid start. Versus Hertha, I think it's almost the other way around, where you've seen actually performances that probably weren't more than the seven points that they have so far this season. If you see the fact that they have, what, two more points than Schalke, or excuse me, one more point than Schalke so far this season. But I think that the performances on the pitch have been miles different between Hertha and Schalke. And the fact that Hertha are now unbeaten in their last four Bundesliga fixtures really does show that Sandro Schwartz, although he isn't necessarily putting a real attacking blueprint onto the side, he's got that defense looking a lot sharper than it was last season. And though it's not really exciting football at the Olympia Stadium, it's definitely more along the lines of Bundesliga football. Yeah, and I think you're right to say that they have sort of undersold themselves a little bit. I mean, I think especially the draws against uh, Leverkusen and Mites, you know, Leverkusen because of, oh my God, I don't even want to think about that VAR decision again. And then, you know, the boneheadery of letting in that late goal against Mites. They would be looking a lot, lot better if they had gotten wins there. So, all right. That's all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Super to have you back, Adam. Yeah, man, it was a pleasure. A good, good time to be on again. And yeah, hopefully looking forward to uh, some exciting Bundesliga match days to come. Nice one. Where can folks sign up for your newsletter? Yeah, um, just go to Substack and type in the German Football Weekly, or you can go to my Twitter, um, etsetsadamcon, etsets, and there you'll find it in my bio. And like you said, man, at the top of the show, we have a lot of great newsletters there. There's some content from this week about Julian Nagelsmann, but also a lot of the other topics we talked about on the show. For example, talking about Mats Hummels and why he perhaps should come back to the national team or Anthony Medes' lackluster goal scoring. So really a lot of the topics that, that came up in the show today can all be seen in a bit more depth on the newsletter. Nice one. Do subscribe. If you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. Talking Foosball Extra will be coming up in a couple of days. They'll be talking about the lower leagues. This is some next to all y'all.